Well, well, welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a 21st century look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. The theme for episode 29, The God Word, the development of a pamphlet for agnostics and atheists that came from the UK, its evolution, and a few hurdles it has to jump through for people living in Canada and the United States, and steps we might want to take to ensure easy access to this literature for home groups on the North American side of the Atlantic. Through AA's history, there's been support for a secular narrative. There's been a modernization of the language. At the same time, that's created a fear, a dis-ease, an anxiety, uh, a secular phobia. That is the irrational fear of or hostility towards non-believers. There was a time in AA, at least in my story, where there was less AA orthodoxy, a more fluid usage of language as far as recovery and describing AA. Could you imagine an AA described where the language was playful and imaginative? It was, to some extent it still is, and certainly it can be again. In 2009, an African-American president was inaugurated in the U.S., and I mistakenly or naively felt that America had forever changed. It was only ever going to get better. I don't share this error with you to cast doubt on my ability to observe trends and make predictions, but I learned something, especially this year in 2017, from my previous mistake. Constant vigilance is a civil duty. It's good AA stewardship, too. We aren't entitled to better times ahead. Vigilance will be a theme today, along with a timely call to action. There are steps that have to take place in order for this pamphlet I referred to, the God Word, to be readily available everywhere. But just as we ought to not be complacent, we (laughs) have to be balanced. I'm reminded of Rule 62 on, I was reminded of it on Facebook this week. The point was made that when any of us lose one of our senses, another or all of the senses become enhanced and or take over. For instance, when I lose my sense of humor, I develop a heightened sense of self-importance. Rule 62, that is a term that comes from Tradition 4. It's, what, it's in the essay on Tradition 4 in 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. The rule is don't take yourself too damn seriously. I have a secret to share today. It's a secret about my sobriety. But enough about me. I'll get to that secret later. There's been quite a bit of talk around the coffee pot about this UK pamphlet number 3267, The God Word, Agnostics and Atheists, Members in AA. There happens to be a catch-22 in the road for Americans and Canadians wanting to acquire this British pamphlet. I'll explain how it works through my own personal experience if you haven't come across this yourself. My group asked me to snag 50 copies for a hospitality suite for our upcoming regional conference, largely because I reported to them what I'd heard from AA World Service, which was the 
hurdle of ordering these things directly from the UK where they're printed and distributed had been overcome? Well, not quite. Some history. In anticipation of Austin's Secular International AA Conference, Waftiak as we were calling it then, I tried to get a hundred of the Godward pamphlets probably sometime in August of 2016. The UK order desk took my order and then the next day they refunded my money. I called them and they explained that selling the leaflet to Canadians was a violation of their licensing agreement with AA World Service. The UK referred me to GSO in New York and they told me, oh no, we don't print or hold copyright for the God Word. Therefore, there is no violation of any licensing agreement. It isn't conference-approved literature as far as GSO is concerned in New York. And go back to Great Britain and you can order it there. Voila. <sighs> Knowing this was never going to be smooth, I contacted a friend in AA in the UK. Thank you, Laurie. His last name will remain anonymous in case he may be guilty of trafficking counterband literature. So he ordered the hundred copies to have it delivered to his place. He and his wife received it and they shipped it to me. I distributed them among the Toronto agnostic meetings and brought the rest to Austin in November 2016. The cost of shipping was more than the cost of the literature, which was 50 pence each pamphlet. There were numerous emails back and forth in getting this straightened out from August 2016 to February 2007. Here's a couple of short notes just to give you a feel for the journey. Uh, this one was from AA World Service and it looks so promising. Thank you for your query. I've been in touch with GSO UK regarding the UK originated pamphlet, The God Word, and we have agreed that they may distribute this item to all who seek it from the U.S. and elsewhere. It's not an AA World Service Inc. copyrighted item, nor AA General Service Conference approved literature, so the distribution does not need to conform to our copyright licensing and distribution practices. To uphold the principles of unity and self-support, we encourage folks to purchase literature at the local level via local structures wherever possible. As you may know, we license our AA World Service Inc. copyrighted material to AA General Service Boards around the world. These copyright agreements necessitate set processes that, in this case, do not apply to this pamphlet. With all best wishes. That was from the Director of Publishing. AA World Services, Inc. I was assured it was all working out. I ordered again. Now, the UK's position wasn't exactly what I anticipated. Hello, Joe. Thank you for your inquiry about the God Word. While we can sell to the US, Canada, unfortunately, we have found that the costs are prohibitive and require additional paperwork, which becomes logistically unsustainable. We understand that GSO US Canada is considering obtaining a license to print which would help resolve this problem. However, the leaflet is available from the AA Great Britain website 
as a PDF file at this link. Uh, so I want the hand of AA always to be there. For that I'm responsible unless it's logistically unsustainable. I do hope you understand, old chap, but the Yanks in New York are going to license, print, and distribute the leaflet for the demand in the USA and Canada. Cheerio, mate. Thank you. The UK did respond promptly. Five stars there. The understanding that the US-Canada GSO is going to license and print the God Word sounds routine, but if you think that having the UK pamphlet available in North America is like flicking a switch and enjoying the light, let's talk. I've got some concerns. Some general service conference history for context. Here's a little AA history that, on one hand, sets a precedent for this kind of thing, and on the other hand, may create a harder time for ease of access of this literature in our AA future. Flashback, April 1980, General Service Conference, New York, USA. The General Service Conference Advisory Action, the pamphlet from Great Britain entitled A Newcomer Asks, Be Adopted and Adapted. What's an advisory action? Well, that's a phrase that has that kind of conference-approved ring to it. Two words that are often misunderstood, uh, at least as often as they are understood. Well, here's uh, Uncle Bill's explaining advisory action on page S81 of the AA Service Manual. While no one can speak for AA officially, the conference, through its advisory actions, comes close to being AA's voice. It cannot be an AA authority, but it can bring into free discussion problems and trends and dangers that seem to affect fellowship harmony, purpose, and effectiveness. A World Service and General Service Office, they work all year for us. What do they do? Uh, well, there's the administration of AA. It's a two-million-member fellowship, so, you know, there's printing, there's, there's lots to do. New initiatives happen through these advisory actions. Groups in the USA and Canada, through our delegates, we communicate to AA's annual business meeting, the General Service Conference. Recommendations from the floor or from our committees, PI, cooperation with the professional community, treatment, corrections, accessibility, archives, literature, treasury, these sorts of things, grapevine, of course. They get brought to the conference members for a vote. Votes in the affirmative become actionable. They become advisory action. As mentioned, there are other general service offices in different regions of international AA. Literature that comes from the United Kingdom, it shares our universal AA tenets, but also reflects domestic uh, cultural nuances. The USA is the most religious developed country on earth. The UK is a secular society. In adopting a newcomer asks, the USA and Canada inherited some UK candor regarding membership diversity in our devotion to or indifference to a sobriety granting higher power. If you're a longtime follower of Rebellion Dogs, because we've referred to this quote before, or familiar with AA literature, this will ring a bell from a newcomer asks, is AA a religious organization? No, 
nor is it allied with any religious organizations. There's a lot of talk about God, though, isn't there? The majority of AA members believe that we have found the solution to our drinking problem not through individual willpower, but through a power greater than ourselves. However, everyone defines this power as he or she wishes. Many people call it God. Others think of it as the AA group. Still others don't believe in it at all. There's room in AA for people with every shade of belief or non-belief. So this unabashed portrayal of AA puts AA into three different camps. All of us united, but ABC. Those of us who do believe in supernatural intervention, those of us who believe in a power of example, a uh, non-religious power, and those of us who don't buy the higher power idea at all. Assuming that represented AA fairly in 1980 on both sides of the Atlantic, this with or without God portrayal of AA recovery is a natural evolution from the 78-year-old warning in the words of co-founder Bob S., who figuratively pointed his finger at the reader and said in his story, if you don't get the God thing, that's intellectual pride, you're not going to make it, I pity you. So a newcomer asks, says, still others don't believe in it, the higher power thing at all. And if you look at our 1939 phonograph, the big book, it sings an older refrain. Here's how, how it works goes. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful, without help. It is too much for us, but there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Who wanted this progressive UK language for the USA and Canada uh, back in 1980? I can speculate, and I will. I would say that back in 1980, it was the public relations people who would have been confronting a skeptical professional world, and this inclusive language softened charges that AA was religious or AA is outdated. As an aside, imagine if the motivation for this new language came from the AA groups. This could have modernized how it works instead of so many meetings starting with, but there is one who has all power, that one is God, may you find him now. We'd be saying our suggested steps talk of God as you understand God. Some members attribute this to be the group, and others don't believe in it at all. So the steps are just suggested, here they are. Step one, dot, dot, dot. I mean, I don't know how <laughs> we would word it, but this variation, this just sort of fantasy of a, a new way of describing our narrative, it sits all right with me. I don't know about you, but anyway, this was a, an aside, just a thought. If some of us find the God, no God, whatever works for you language liberating, that's fantastic. A newcomer asks, makes AA just as secular normative as we are faith-based normative. Whatever the motivation back in 1980, in very subtle but affirming ways, conference initiatives continued to modernize the atheist language in AA. In 1983, in our pamphlet, This is AA, the first of two modernizations of our verbiage would declare 
There are a number of self-proclaimed atheists and agnostics among us. I don't recall exactly what the original 1955 pamphlet would have said, but I think it was something along the lines of some members even think they are atheists or agnostics, as if uh, holding no supernatural worldview is a state of denial or some uh, inability to cope with the truth of uh, a universal governing Yahweh. This uh, progressive trend continued through 2001. This is AA improves again. So what by now seemed condescending to say even a few self-proclaimed atheists and agnostics, we changed that to there are also atheists and agnostics among us. That's better. Doesn't that just sound like non-theists are rights-bearing equals according to our peers? In 2010, the General Service Conference affirmed the Trustees Committee on Literature develop literature which focuses on spirituality that includes stories from atheists and agnostics who are successfully sober in Alcoholics Anonymous and bring this draft or progress report to the 2011 Conference Committee on Literature. AA Atheist Successes how affirming is that? But is there another group of AA, perhaps, who would see this secular deviation as threatening instead of liberating? Secular phobia. It's a modern word, but wherever there's been a dependence on a supernatural force, intolerance, either a little of it or a lot of it, has always been present. Widening our gateway in AA has always been well-intended, but we always keep one eye on possible threats, too. What would the four horsemen of the AA apocalypse even look like? Our founders warned that we ought not be complacent, and that danger is more likely to come from self-destruction than from outside forces. Perceived others have always tested us, they're a potential threat. Women, African Americans, duly addicted people in AA, the LGBTQ community, atheists, all of these groups, all of these underrepresented populations have faced ridicule and hostility from those who speak of gratitude for the gift of AA so freely given. Widen our gateway, yes, but AA has never been intended to be all things to everyone. Where does radical inclusivity turn into watered-down AA? So the 2010 advisory action celebrating secular AA was too much widening our gateway for some. The action to affirm successful atheists was repudiated in the White Paper on Non-Believers, an anti-atheist warning from a 40-year sober anonymous member. This author called for action from fellow God-fearing AA members to stop this atheist agnostic pamphlet and reverse our growing tolerance for non-believers. No more accommodation. AA is not for everybody. Just as Russians are being investigated as an outside force tampering with the 2016 U.S. election, the white paper had an influence-peddling role on Toronto Intergroup in 2011. A non-intergroup AA member named Brian W. obtained access to Toronto's email list 
the white paper, uh, what some refer to as the Mein Kampf of AA fear-mongering, uh, was circulated to Toronto intergroup reps. The paper warned email recipients that agnostic members reading agnostic interpretations of AA's 12 steps in agnostic meetings could spell the end of AA as we know it. Better we sacrifice the still-suffering heathen and save our God-fearing children's children. In the same era of the white paper, something else happened to the secular normative AA pamphlet, A Newcomer Asks. In the U.S., there was an advisory action that seems curious. It's now 2009. The pamphlet was adopted in 1980. And an advisory action states, a sentence encouraging newcomers to obtain and study the big book Alcoholics Anonymous be added to the pamphlet a newcomer asks. So the UK leaflet, a newcomer asks, that was just fine for the US and Canada up until 2009, says this, what advice do you give a new member? Stay away from the first drink. 2. Attend AA meetings regularly. 3. Seek out the people in AA who have successfully stayed sober for some time. 4. Try to put into practice the AA program of recovery. There's four pretty good ideas. Any two or three could work. All four of them are worth trying. GSO Pamphlet P24, a newcomer asked post-2009, now reads in Canada and the U.S., What advice do you give the new member? A. Stay away from the first drink. B. Attend AA meetings regularly. C. Seek out the people in AA who have successfully stayed sober for some time. D. Try to put into practice the AA program of recovery. And E. Obtain and study the big book. Alcoholics Anonymous. Two questions come to mind, and perhaps we can reflect on them. My first question would be, why mention the big book and refer to it as a study guide? Don't we mention the big book in AA enough already? The second question is, if our 1980 advisory action was to adopt and amend the British pamphlet, why did we not add this critical deficiency if it was indeed a critical deficiency back in 1980. Why was it so urgent in 2009 and not even considered in 1980? What's the difference? Well, at the top of the show, I tempted you to stay tuned with a secret about my sobriety. I'll share that with you. Background. I came to AA in the 1970s, got clean and sober for good in 1976. No one advised me to obtain and study the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. So my secret, which will seem strange to you if you were introduced to AA from the mid-1990s or later, is this. I never read the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, I did once I was nine years sober or so, but I had already completed the 12 steps. When I was new, I read pamphlets, Living Sober, Came to Believe, I tried a couple of daily reflection books. Uh, back in the day, books like Stools and Bottles or The Little Red Book were pretty popular. They were shared amongst AAs from member to member in my neck of the woods anyway. 
They aren't top choices for new atheists. But back in the day, we were forgiving of religious language, and none of us found it to be contagious. Theists were just trying to help us in their own language. Later, when I was sober for a while and curious about AA, I was reading Pass It On, and AA Comes of Age. And these books, The History of AA, got me interested in the big book, so I read it. I read the first 164 pages, plus the stories, some of them I'd read already, and the appendices. I found them historically valuable. I found the whole book useful. Not all of it, but useful. In AA in the 70s, certainly in Montreal where I got sober, and Calgary where I moved in 79, there were no big book meetings that I was aware of. Now, I was young and restless. I went to a lot of meetings. I worked the steps, but not with the text Alcoholics Anonymous as a step-by-step -step guide. Some members presumably did. I'm sure they did. There were Hazelden guides around. There were sponsees asking sponsors, what did you do with step two or step three? Or when did you start making your amends? AA in my formative years was an oral tradition whereby one member talked to another member. There were plenty of books and booklets to read to help me work or skip or combine steps and work the program like everybody else did, which was a very personal process, a very individual process. So in 1980, GSO didn't add the study the big book passage because in 1980, that wasn't the predominant AA culture. We were not a one-book, one-solution society. Not in all corners of AA, not in 1980. So when did big book fanaticism start? Well, here's a little bit of history. Today the big book is ubiquitous. For a fellowship of 2 million, we're closing in on 40 million copies of Alcoholics Anonymous in print. It wasn't always a bestseller. In the early days, it sold all right. Now it sells a million copies a year. So what happened? It was about 20,000 copies a year that the big book would sell in the 50s and 60s. That's not shabby. The millionth cumulative copy wasn't sold until after Bill Wilson died, 1973. So it took 34 years after the first printing to sell one million. Back then, every year, AA membership was growing. Big book sales were gradual. The third edition came out in 76. So in 1980, AA sold a record 370,000 third editions. But by 1990, it was typical to sell a million big books every year. So if you got sober in 1990 or later, it would be easy to perceive that AA is the book. The book is AA. You may not be able to imagine an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting without the text by the same name, without reading from the book. By the 1990s, big book study meetings and weekends were very popular. This in part goes back to the legend of Joe and Charlie. Here's uh, something from The Fix. There's a couple of articles in The Fix on Joe and Charlie, and if you don't know that history, it's worth looking at. Charlie got sober in 1970 and started studying the big book seriously with Joe in 1973. For Charlie, it was all about the steps. Remember, we recover by the steps we take, not the meetings we make. When Charlie died, 
from a massive heart attack in 2011. At the age of 82, he'd been sober 41 years, half his life. In 62, at the age of 34, Joe McHugh woke up in a psych ward in Arkansas, determined to stay sober. He sought out AA meetings when he was released, but racism was alive and well in Little Rock, Arkansas. The local AA groups agreed to let him attend meetings as long as he A, did not get there early, didn't stick around afterwards, and C, didn't drink their coffee. Little Rock was no place for a black man to be looking for help in 1962. Joe said when talking about early sobriety, the isolation from fellowship meant the big book was his primary source of recovery information, and it spurred him to organize new AA groups on his own. Back in the 70s, meeting secretaries would read the news and notes from GSO, and we'd hear about loners, members who lived in isolated areas. They were dependent on AA literature and pen pals. Remember, no Facebook. Uh, things are different now. Joe M. depended on literature the way AA loners would. Going back to our beginning, before we had a book or a name for our organization, there was this idea that the message of hope of one alcoholic talking to another. This could be conveyed in a book. That's true. While I see evidence today that some of us get sober on literature, I would speculate that if Joe M. of Little Rock was observing an AA group that read the Little Red Book, and that's what he was given a copy of, along with his sincere desire to stop drinking, he would have worked through the ideas in that book, which is about AA, written by another AA member, and it would have worked for him. For some of us, it's meetings, the program, literature, all of the above, none of the above. Sobriety in AA is a pathless land. I don't have a relationship with the big book the way some do because it wasn't a playbook for my sobriety. I appreciate those who sincerely credit the book or being booked for getting them sober. My first trip through the big book for recovery purposes, was in aid of someone else's sobriety. I always make the sponsee take the lead. So you want to take the steps? How do you propose you're going to do that? Well, in this case, my sponsee wanted to do an AA inventory the AA way with the big book. So he taught me. I have zero issue with someone who zealously attributes the big book for saving their lives. What I have less appreciation for is a rigid insistence that the big book way is the AA official way, or the only legitimate AA experience. The Joe and Charlie phenomena grew. Their weekends, the big book comes alive, were in some cases presented to 800 people. Many came more than once. They brought their friends a second time. Joe and Charlie weren't cult leaders. But there was a cult of Joe and Charlie that emerged. It may have led the groundwork for what we now know as muckers or the back-to-basics type of AA. It certainly had a contributing factor. Five AA myths that critics and zealots share. That's a fix article. Uh, more accurately, it's one myth that zealots and critics share, and five reality checks that debunk this shared myth, which is that both big book thumpers and big book bashers have, AA is a program. 
Now everything that defines AA from the traditions to the preamble describes a fellowship, not a program. When people criticize AA, it's par for the course to be attacking the steps. When zealots gush about AA, what they mean often is the AA steps as described in Alcoholics Anonymous. This idea of AA and program as synonymous is widely held, but erroneous all the same. Many AAs with contented long-term sobriety have dismissed the steps and stayed sober. They are AA's story also. No steppers are joined by some steppers who got started, lost their enthusiasm, but not their sobriety. Still more have taken an inventory in some fashion, made amends in some fashion. They are self-reflective. They may meditate, but to say they treat the steps as a formula or in some sort of formulaic 1 through 12 process, not the case. So I'm not from a generation of AA members that credits my sobriety to a 1939 book. Going back to a newcomer asks, the pamphlet was complete and meaningful in 1980. The general service class of 2009 thought it was missing something crucial. Maybe that was their experience. How can newcomers get sober without the AA step-by-step plan for recovery? They balked. What an order. I don't see the insertion of the get the big book, study the big book, or else as a conspiracy by AA militants reacting to how secular, otherwise known as diabolical, the pamphlet a newcomer asks appears. Our more enthusiastic inclusionists might see that the inserting this big book rhetoric is a contaminating of a perfectly peaceful chat about AA recovery with potential AA members. Is there a growing uniformity over unity fundamentalism movement? Is anything secular or secular normative a threat to some in AA? Was the inclusion of you better read and reread the big book and don't balk about the 200 references to the word God in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, an attempt to reverse the secular-friendly literature, which is AA's A Newcomer Asks. I love conspiracy theories, but I don't smell an anti-atheist conspiracy. I understand the class of 2009. Mostly delegates who got sober between 1980 and 1995, after the pamphlet had first been adopted, they would have widely held the view that AA is a book-based society and the big book is an instruction book for sobriety. Many of them were raised in a million big books a year world. To be clear, I don't share the notion that the 12 steps, as outlined in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, is a superior way of getting and staying sober than an a la carte approach to relying on the AA fellowship, not the program, Work or don't work the steps. Add other self-reflection, self-improvement activities or therapy to your AA sobriety. AA for me isn't a board game where the rules are we all start from square one, we advance through to 12, where we have recovery as a result of these steps. It's not a straight line or a circle. (laughs) It zigs and it zags. If fundamentalist AA has a 
clearly better record than all other approaches to AA, I would want that improved outcome for myself, and I would recommend it to others. There is no evidence that secular AA is superior to faith-based AA either. There is no regimen, with or without the steps, that hold an advantage one way of doing things over the other that I've seen anyway. Feel free to disagree with me. While I don't agree with, I respect the right of those who believe a book changed their lives. Sing the praises of the big book study. All of us, starting with me, would do well to quell our zealotry and avoid depicting our narrative as the official AA narrative or as intended by the original members for AA to be. The USA-Canada conference saw fit to urge a newcomer ask readers to get and study the big book in 2009. Okay. Autonomous and having their own needs and culture, the UK did not follow suit. For Brits, one day at a time, reach out for help, work an undefined program, is direction enough for any newcomer who's asking. This brings me back to the God word, remember? That's what I started talking about in the first place. So let's cover how the new agnostic atheist leaflet came to be for AA in the UK and the hurdles that my fellow North American members might want to prepare for if we want easy access to leaflet number 3267. The UK, not the USA, or Canada, eh? Printing the God word is an obvious choice for members of the United Kingdom. A collection of stories for members that depend on a personal and right-sized relationship with the natural world makes sense in the UK. People of the United Kingdom are more secular than the more religious US where AA came from. To underscore this point, just in time for Christmas, a December 23, 2016 newspaper article started out, Forget Believing in Santa, the tumultuous events of 2016 appear to have left Britons unable to believe in God. A YouGov poll for the Times has shown a four-point decline in the percentage of people who believe in a higher power, from 32% in February last year to 28% right now. The drop suggests a far sharper decrease than in previous years. The Times says Britain's belief in God has long been in decline, but at a rate of 1% per year. Less than 3 out of 10 Brits believe in a higher power. That's about opposite to the USA, where of Americans, 74% are certain there is a higher power. That's from Pew Research 2014. And what about Canada? Well, why did the Canadian cross the road to get to the middle? And true to form, we're in the middle. Two-thirds of Canadians believe in a higher power. One-third do not. The importance of religious practices are waning with the hockey-playing, fur-trading Canadians that we are. Our influences, somewhere between the United Kingdom and the United States of America, you cousins have an influence on us as far as our spiritual beliefs and practices are concerned. We just feel so comfortable in the middle of the road. While I don't know the entire course of events for the UK, 
Someone presented the idea, a group assembled to collect the stories, they created a draft, it was approved, or approval was sought, then it was approved. Other stakeholders at the UK General Service Conference said their bit, good for them, good for all of us, we had the God word. And it happened in a setting of a society that has less than 30% belief in an intervening deity. While the adoption by the USA and Canada General Service Conference of a newcomer ass may have been routine, will it be the same matter-of-fact approval for heathen stories of godless AAs, or will this accommodation be too much for our more religious members, our AA in Canada and the U.S.? Future results can't be assumed based on past records. But the conference in New York already said no to a made-in-the-USA collection of stories by atheists and agnostics. As has been documented on AA Agnostica, Rebellion Dogs, AA Beyond Belief, and other AA gathering places over the last few years, AA members and areas have attempted to produce AA in the words of our non-believers. They've tried and been rejected a dozen times between 1976 and 2014. The rejection of the 2010 initiative for atheist stories in 2011, and then again it was sent back in 2012, turned into the Consolation Prize, which is Many Paths to Spirituality, 2014. A, a fine pamphlet, but not what we were looking for necessarily, not what I was looking for. So if you're waiting at home until after the April General Service Conference 2017 when your home group will be stocking up on the God Word, Atheists and Agnostics and AA, the Canada-USA version, maybe you're right, but just in case, it's not that simple. Do you know who your delegate is? If you have a home group, it's in a district. Your district is part of one of 93 areas in Canada and the USA. My group, Beyond Belief, Agnostics and Freethinkers, is District 10, Area 83. Our last chance to talk to our delegate, who votes at the conference, will be the last weekend of March. That's our biannual area assembly. I wrote to her. I wrote to our delegate already. I told her my personal story of how... Uh, troubling the current catch-22 is, how we tried to replenish our stock of the God Word, and we couldn't. I told her how well-received the pamphlet was by long-term members and newcomers alike. And I asked her that if she was to vote on this matter, that I would really appreciate it if she voted in the affirmative. So we've got a copy, a PDF, thanks to the UK, of the God Word. You can download this PDF if you're going to your area assembly, print a copy, or download it to your phone, show it to your delegate, email it to your delegate, put it on your phone, show it to others. The General Service Conference is April 23 to 29, 2017. In AA, we don't always get our way, but we do always get our say. A friend of mine who's been sober longer than me looks at all that's going on in AA today. 
secular AA, AA gatherings over the internet, the recent peaceful settlement between Toronto Intergroup and the secular local groups, he said to me, despite the best efforts of extremists on both sides, AA may now be healthier than it's been for years. That made me smile. It's true. The struggles and triumphs, these are the adventures of life. Back in 2009, when I was looking at the political landscape and social progress, an African-American family was moving into the White House, I complacently thought it's only getting better from here. This is, I think, a good time to be in recovery. I will learn from my earlier complacency, and I will stay engaged. We do have a right to have our say. Why don't we do something good with it? Thanks for letting me have my say. Let's go out with a song if you want to hang around for this. This is a band from Vancouver called The Dash. We'll have a link to that band at rebelliondogspublishing.com. There's a better way to find what you're after And there's an answer to the questions that you have in your head Living in the past is a form of cancer And moving forward is the only way to make amends Looking back is something we do when we don't see future It's hard to move on when the memory's strong How do we get what we need? A little time and a little bit of love You're in control of it Just no point in living in the past Let it all go and just be free Yeah Let it all go and just be free There's a better way to find what you're after A change is hard but so is never changing nothing
think it has a recovery feel to it. How about you? Peace out.